Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of Truth Tidbits. And today, I think what I'm going to do is begin for us to do our reading in the book of Romans, and we're going to take it slow. We may break it up a little bit and, you know, just as the Lord leads, but today I'm going to begin the book of Romans, and we'll see how it goes. And I want us to start in our journey by looking at a pierced ear. And I want to explain what I mean by that as we get into the book of Romans. Today we will only discuss Romans chapter 1, verse 1, believe it or not. But we're going to talk about that because there's three things here that I really want to focus on because Paul focuses on them in the writing of this book. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Let's stop there for today, and let's just briefly discuss these. We know that this book is written by Paul. He identifies himself in the very first word. It was written approximately 57 AD or about 25 to 27 or so years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Paul is a pierced ear. Now, we're going to understand that a little bit more in just a moment. He was formerly Saul, a very devout Judaistic Pharisee, with great zeal for the law. You can read about that in Philippians chapter 3, the first several verses Paul lists. He lists much about his own status and pursuits, things that he could have boasted in. He speaks of how he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and concerning the law, he was blameless. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He boasts he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He speaks a lot about his zeal and what he was prior to Jesus Christ changing his life. And then he says later in Philippians 3, he says, All of those things, I count them as loss for the superior thing, the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ. It's wonderful when you understand that Saul had an encounter that changed him completely. And it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 9, and we will look at that. But Paul left religion for relationship. Paul had, he was steeped in dead, dry religion. He was steeped in the law he was steeped in the pious religiosity of his day and trying to keep all of these traditions of men in addition to God's law because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was schooled under Gamaliel and he was on his way up in Judaism. He was destined to be a great Judaistic law professor or rabbi or Pharisee, way up, headed for Sanhedrin, etc. And he was steeped in religion. 
just like Nicodemus was when Nicodemus came to Jesus. But Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you want to really see life, you've got religion. You've got the deadness of the letter of the law, but you have no spirit. You have no life. There's nothing life-giving in that. Where the life is, is when you're born again. And so Paul, who was Saul before, had his own encounter where he left dead, dry religion for a vibrant, true relationship in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. He was saved and then he got alone with God. The Bible tells us that very shortly after he was saved, he went to Arabia, to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, same thing, same place that Moses went to, same place that Elijah went to. And he spent three years there alone with God, alone with God and his word. And I believe during that time, Paul was in training. Paul was understanding all the things of the law that had been dead and dry without life now came alive to him. Now he understood the connection. Now he understood all of Exodus and what it was all about and all of the law and all the types and the shadows and all of these other things. And he refers to it later on when he says in Colossians 2 that all of these things were shadows of the substance of Jesus Christ that was to come later. So Paul got alone with God and learned the things that were true. He understood much more clearly. And now that same zeal that he used to have for the deadness of religion and the law, he now has for Jesus Christ. And that's why he's such a powerful part of the New Testament. God took him and replaced that dead religion with a true relationship that shows the connection and that brings life to the scriptures that Paul already knew. And he now knows them and understands them. Now he understands the connection. Now he understands the truth and the precious treasures that are in the Old Testament scripture. And he begins to lay those out for us in much of the New Testament. Notice also Paul's humility. Paul had said, in Philippians 3, those first early verses, those were things that he could have boasted on. And he tells us that. He says, if anybody has anything to boast about, hey, I'm up there. I'm right up there with you. I got as much or more than you do. And then he lists all those things. But then he comes down to, to Philippians 3 later. And he says, but I count every one of those as loss, as dung for Jesus. Because knowing Jesus that's where real life is. That's where real satisfaction is. That's the, the reality. That's the source of my joy now. That's the source of the truth. He's the superior thing. This was good, but he's even better. Hallelujah. So now Paul calls himself a bondservant. What in the world does that mean? To find out and to understand, we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 21, and I'm going to read a few verses here. 
And this is really the focus of our discussion today. The other topics we will pick up again tomorrow. In Exodus chapter 21, I want to read verses 1 through 6. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. This is Moses recording what God has said. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. Now, let me stop here for just a moment because this is not the culture of our day. It was the culture back then. The servants at that time were not the same as we might consider the slavery of today. It was more like an employer-employee relationship. It was more like where you would hire, perhaps in, in some of the royal families, etc., may have servants in their home where they come in and they live in their home and they pay them to work for them. And it's, it's no different than your job, than your, your job and your employer and so forth. You, you do your work, you get paid for your work, etc., and so it's a similar situation there. Yes, they did live with them. Yes, they did, you know, serve them and that kind of thing. But it's a, it's a very similar situation. You do what your boss tells you to do, just like they did what their masters told them to do. So God set it up so that it can provide mutual benefit. That's what employer-employee relationships are for. And this is the way God designed true masters and servants to be. Now, just like with anything else that God does, the devil comes in and he can distort it and pervert it and make it evil. But the original arrangement and mind of God was to be a blessing to one another and to help one another and to be able to have a mutual beneficial relationship there. So I just want to point that out because we can read these scriptures and especially coming from some mindsets in our day with recent culture in our own history and things like that, we can think the wrong thing about it. But God never designed slavery to be oppressive and to take advantage of anybody. That was never God's design. That is nowhere near his nature. His nature is to bless all. And so when this type of a situation arose, it was for a blessing. Think about it like this. For instance, if you go back and you read about Abraham and Abraham's servants, Abraham had a lot of servants and he took care of them. And even to the point that when he and Lot got into a disagreement because their servants, you know, were fighting over things and there was conflict then, you know, Abraham said, hey, we got to take care of this matter. We, we got to love them. We got to love each other. He says, I don't want any trouble. You know, you choose where you want to be and I'll take something else. So we see that in Abraham. When you come to the book of Ruth and you read about Boaz, read about Boaz. I believe it's in chapter two where you will hear about how his servants, he treated them well. He loved them. He cared for them and they loved and respected him back. So servanthood is not supposed to be some oppressive form of slavery. That was never what God designed. And it should have been 
very mutual, full of mutual love and respect and benefit all involved. So I just wanted to clarify that. But this is what I really want to get to. In verse 5, it says this of Exodus chapter 21. But if the servant plainly says, now this is the servant that it's the seventh year, the Smita, the servants are supposed to go free in the Sabbath year. So he has now paid off his debt, perhaps, if that was what this was all about, or he has served faithfully, and now it's the year when he's supposed to be released. And so the master comes to him and says, you know, you fulfilled your employment contract. Here, go and be blessed, and you're free to go. Okay, that's what this situation is. But verse 5, but if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. When we come to the New Testament, every time you see the word doulos in the Greek, which is the exact word Paul uses here and in many other places, and others use it as well, doulos in the Greek is meaning this exact same situation expressed in verse 5 and 6 of Exodus 21. It's the person who has pierced their ear. It, it's the person who has received a pierced ear from the Lord himself because they have willingly chosen to say, My master, Jesus, you're too good. You're a good master. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to serve anybody else. I want to stay right here. I want to serve you forever. That's what a biblical pierced ear means. That's what a doulos is. That's what a bondservant is. It's a powerful thing to have a pierced ear with the Lord, meaning that we now have a zeal for him. We are his and we will serve him forever. And we won't work in anybody else's field. And we won't serve any other master. We set ourselves apart and say, Lord, I'm yours. I want to be your servant forever. That is what Paul calls himself when he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And actually, I'm going to stop right there and pick up the rest of it in the next session. This is what a pierced ear is, a servant forever. Do you have a pierced ear? Have you allowed the Lord to pierce your ear so that you will be His? Are you set apart for Him? Have you told Him, you're too good? I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I know that you're a good master. Will you give him control of your life? Because he's a good shepherd. He's a good master. He will lead you in good places. He will teach you good things. 
He will use you in beautiful, wonderful ways. And we're going to look at that in the next session. Oh, pierce your ear before the Lord. To let the Lord pierce your ear. I invite you to say what this bondservant would say to his master. I love my master. And I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to stay right here and serve you forever. Pierce my ear, Lord Jesus. Is that your cry today? Oh, I pray so, beloved friend. I pray it is so. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of our Truth Tidbits. God bless you today. In Jesus' name.